Crown him with many crowns. Music means that I agree. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which charitably and critically examines the texts of music sung in the church. I am Tyler, a linguist, and I'm joined as usual by Colin. I am Colin, and my soccer team is furious with me, Tyler, because I left mid-tournament to record this podcast. So, What a good friend and podcaster you are and terrible teammate you are. <laughs> they asked me for the name of the podcast. I think they were feigning interest, but really they were going to ask the Russians to cyber attack our podcast so that that's punishment for me leaving. Yeah, that seems fair to me. Yeah. And uh, as not usual, we are also joined today by one David. Hey, how you doing? Hi, David. And David is an independent filmmaker a blogger and co-host of the Goldsmith Odyssey, which is a podcast which presents a chronological journey through the filmography of composer Jerry Goldsmith. Um, David, you've written also for Redeeming Culture, is that correct? Yes, my friend David Atwell's weblog, and he, he switched over to real-world theology a couple of years ago, and Redeeming went dormant, but they're kind of connected and I think he's reviving redeeming culture again. But yeah, I was I've written for their their coverage of Star Trek every September. I'll do a few episodes or movies or something like that. And uh they, he started me on sort of a classic series. Once a month I would talk about all about Eve or Planet of the Apes or whatever. Uh and then boom, moved to real world theology and I was a little confused for a while, and so that stopped, but it'll pick up again. Wow. And additionally, you're also uh, writing the introduction to the score for the Twilight Zone movie. Is that correct? There, there are uh, some different companies or guys who are releasing what they call engravings. And an engraving is what someone takes the sort of the handwritten score, Mozart's, Beethoven's, Goldsmith's, uh, and they transfer it to, you know, type or typeface or in our case, computer. And it can be released as a book. And it's basically, it's the score the composer would have. So you have, you know, not like third, you have all the violin parts and so forth and all of the horns and the strings, et cetera. And um, a lot of them do Goldsmith because in the soundtrack world, Goldsmith, who died 18 years ago, um, what did I tell you last year? I think, I think there were 16 new CD releases of Goldsmith music in 2021. Um, there usually are six and that's a sign that these guys like COVID was a bad year. We need cash because Goldsmith sells, uh, people like his stuff. So, so one company has done Star Trek, the motion picture and Poltergeist and other companies, I think going to do alien, uh, this relatively new one. Um, they have done Bernard Herman's the day of the earth stood still and James Horner's Krull, not for the movie, but for the music. And their third is going to be Twilight's on the movie, which is Goldsmith scoring four different episodes, if you will. And it's like four different film scores. And so they contacted the Odyssey and said, do you guys want to write an intro? And it, it's kind of like the other three guys stepped back and were like patting me on the back. And because they know it's it's in my top 
five or 10 of the 300 or so scores we've got by Goldsmith that I know well, I'm one of the guys that loves it the most. So, so yeah, and the score turned out to be 290 pages. And if they go over 300, it becomes a different kind of publication. So he got my piece and said, oh, this is great. And then he said, well, I'm editing it because he, he actually had a few other people who were going to write additional introductions, like really detailed stuff about the keyboards and the patches they're using and things like that, which I could never write about. And so he's like, sorry, but we're going to have to hack this thing because we've got to keep the whole book under 300 pages. Um, so, you know, but I mean, it's, oh, and oh, we're out of, we're at a Blu-ray commentary. The Goldsmith Odyssey, Colin, is just four guys. It was three. I heard the show. I liked the show. I emailed them as kind of a fan and said, hey, you guys are hitting the ground running and you're doing these things right. You're not doing these things wrong. And within a few months, they had me on as a guest because I had a lot of music that nobody else had. And then the guy who started the podcast quit and they invited me aboard as the third host and editor, which is about a 30 hour a month job. Um, but it's worth doing because I like I love editing. It's kind of my thing. And so we're talking about so much music. We'll talk about a score, but we're going to reference a bit of Chinatown, a little bit from Patton and something from high anxiety and, and these little bits and pieces. And of course, I want to play them as we refer to them so that people can follow. Mm. Well, David, this is this is a good uh, way for you to get on podcasts. I'll let the uh, audience know that uh, David has been a real helpful listener of this podcast and has provided us with some really useful feedback. And now here you are, <laughs> our first guest on the Worship Review. So this is obviously, we, I don't know which podcast you'd like to be on next, but are you working up some notes for them? No, it's a lot. No, I don't even really want to be on this one. I just got roped in. Tyler asked, and I owed him a favor because he's got stuff on me. Okay, so. fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're really happy to talk to you, too, because, of course, you've got some great uh, perspectives on Christian music. In addition to just being uh, uh, an expert on uh, the music of Goldsmith, you're you're also, uh, I've got a lot to say about Christian music, too. And so, yeah, we were looking forward to having an interview with you, for sure. Tyler, I think you've got questions for David. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, David, as somebody who's thought a lot about and written a lot about the uh, interface of Christian faith with um, culture and art. Uh, my first question for you is, how does your faith inform uh, your art as an independent filmmaker and also your love of art as someone who podcasts and uh, does a lot of writing and thinking about about music generally? It's a very interviewee question. Um I think I think the the most unique way because I think what most Christians do with art is worldview identification. Is this our worldview? Is this not our worldview? And and that's fine. Um, it's a useful starting place. Uh, I'm more I'm more interested in the details in the moment. So my sort of one of my defining verses, like my own personal verses that I love, is New American Standard translation of Jeremiah 15, 19. If you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. I love that. That speaks so much freedom into, well, I better not watch Harry Potter or I might turn to witchcraft. That sort of mentality that, um, that will keep us from, that will, that will have us encounter culture with fear. 
like it's dirty and it taints us. I think if you read the New Testament, you see Jesus doesn't act like the world taints him. He acts like he taints the world. And after the resurrection, he expects his followers to kind of go and do likewise. Um, and you see him struggle with it in the book of Acts. It's hard for them to go to Samaria. And you know, it is, Peter's already been told the lesson and he's still, they're like two, like he gets the whole thing dropped down with the animals inside and, and all that, like go to the, to the Gentiles. And yet one more time after that, he's kind of like, oh, God likes the Gentiles. Like it takes a while to sink in. Um, so like examples would be, I like the color purple. Uh, the color purple, um, has the longest happy ending in history. I mean, it's just, it's this wonderfully told hard story. And when things start to go good, I mean, it's like 20, 25 minutes of happy ending. It's, it's just wonderful. Um, and it has a character who's, um, <clears throat> who becomes friends with Whoopi Goldberg's character, Seely, who's sort of the, the, the main character. And, uh, they, you know, every man in the movie is rotten, awful, mean. Um, so they've kind of got a little sisterly bond in the book. It's not sisterly. Um, and she's, a like a, she's a, like a bar singer. You know, she's, her dad is a preacher and she sings in bars and she sings in pubs. And so she sort of went the other way, if you will. And it's got this scene where she's hanging out at the little speakeasy and she can hear them singing in the church way far away. And she starts singing along with the church music. And then she just takes off and everybody knows her and everybody likes her. So they're like, well, what's, what's up with, I forget her name. Uh, and they, they all follow her and, and as they follow, they start joining in and they're playing instruments along and you can see the, the choir in the church is sort of, what are we hearing? There are other voices and they bust into the church and they join and they're singing. It's this wonderful musical moment. And her dad, who hasn't spoken to her since she went the other way, she finally comes up and hugs him and she says, see dad, sinners have soul too. See, Daddy, sinners have soul, too. Now, the worship review would evaluate that scene as being unduly vague about the gospel. Because the gospel is not, hey, I sang one of your songs. Now I'm one of you, right? Which is, which is to be honest, how I read it when I was a kid. But... You know, the Jeremiah 15, 19, what's going on in here? Well, one thing that's going on in here is as I got older, I saw that scene as being much more about her father than about her. That's not she's converting. She may have never unconverted. She just chose a path of life. And a lot of people who are Christian don't go to church and become church going people. They they walk a different path and they're still believers and they have a hard life and a hard road. And that's her, maybe. Or maybe she's not a believer. But he is. He's the preacher. He's the pastor. And he has shunned her for the lifestyle she has chosen rather than embraced her for the human being that she is. And, and it, I see that scene is about him repenting of his shunning, which there's not really a Christian reason for shunning. 
I mean, there is, I think, apostasy and, you know, don't eat with these people. But I mean, in general, it's not like my prodigal son. Oh, he's prodigal. Screw him. That's not really the, the message there. And so part of it is like, how can I look at this? And it has to be available. Like, I'm not imposing that on the color purple. There are a bunch of things being told there. And I think Spielberg is telling a story of music brought us together. And I think that's what he was doing. But the way that pastor plays it and the way that that whole movie, he's in only two or three scenes. And they're really good scenes where she, you know, she comes in when he's sort of cleaning up and she talks to him and he won't look at her. And she just keeps telling him what's going on and he won't look at her. And it breaks her heart a little bit. Um, I saw Nightmare Before Christmas with a friend. And from the first time I saw Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas, I thought, well, look at this. Here's Halloween Town, which is, let's say that's us. And a guy from Halloween Town gets a glimpse of Christmas Town. Let's say heaven. Let's say God. Let's say godliness. And it's like, oh, I want to do that. And he can't. <laughs> it, 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 he just messes it up. <laughs> Santa has to do Christmas Town. You know, like it, that was literally the "Your righteousnesses are filthy rags" illustrated in this uh, obnoxiously musical cartoon um, about a Halloween person. And it's not just you weren't designed for that. It's literally everything he tries to do, he tries to do right, and he he really, really, his heart is in it. But he's dropping real heads off instead of instead of of uh, of toys and things like that. And it's it's looking at at, in my case, movies predominantly and saying, OK, what can I get out, out of there will be blood? Well, there will be blood is a portrait of a hard heart. It's a really good portrait of a really hard heart. So is the entire TV series breaking bad it's a hardening heart or is it it's one of those um i think that's how it, it what it does is my faith allows me to safely experience art on its own terms first before analysis before i check for any worldview protection i can safely go in and watch most things um and i'm not going to worry that goodfellas is going to is going to scar my heart David, do you think that do you think that's because um, uh, you know that we do that as Christians, maybe where we're looking for, yeah, I guess worldview affirmation first, because we have a pretty well developed sense of orthodoxy and heresy. So it seems like the path towards enlightenment in Christianity is clearer definitions about who God is and who the church is and the gospel and so on and so forth. I mean, do you think that has something to do with that? With my sense of safety or with why people do the worldview thing? No, with, 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 yeah. Why, why we as Christians maybe are quick to not see art on its own terms and are, are a little bit quicker to, to try to find kind of worldview identifiers in it. I think that's the tyranny of culture predominantly. I think culture makes tribalists and loyalists of us in a lot of ways. And as Christians, you, the people who you go to church with, the people who you know are saved, those are your tribe, and it's a small tribe. And it doesn't have predominance over the culture. And it's easy to get offended by that. You know, and I, and I do sometimes, I get offended by changes in culture. I, I get, you know, the first time I heard, you can cut this if you want, but the first time I heard at 8 p.m. on channel 13, someone say, you're a d I, I said, what, what have I missed? Where, how did, when did that 
when did that become prime time? The kids are home television language. Yeah, sure. Right. And, and that I saw that encroachment coming through the 80s and 90s. Uh, and at times it just bugged me. And, I, and that's fine. Um, but I think it becomes we're doing an us and a them. And and I think people I think I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christian teachers teach so much about the, quote, power of movies, music, art, and they're not wrong, but they don't go any further than to teach that it has power so that all you can really do is say, well, this is Christian culture, so it is going to have power and it's going to be good power. Therefore, I want all the Christian movies to go out into the world and for people to see them. Personally, I don't want people to see Christian movies right now. They stink. They're embarrassing, and I don't want people to think that that's how we think the world is. But a lot of people, they do. And conversely, you've got to watch, you know, Michael Keaton as Batman and or Batman Returns and say, look at all the, you know, why is it so sexual? And and it's so dark, and she kind of looks like a devil, and you're finding... It, it, it's, it becomes, you're astute if you can identify the enemy. Right. Instead of recognizing it's the wheat and the tares, we live with the enemy every day, all the time. So really, where are the tares? If a human being who does not know the Lord is telling an honest story about human beings and puts thought into it, he cannot avoid some truthfulness that is useful. So for me, it's the, the only unsafety things are we're hardwired to respond to sexual imagery. So you have to know your limits there. At, a cer at certain ages, we're hardwired to pick up language. So it, it is, a, it is a, a, a gift to your kids when they're 12, 13, 14 to say, hold off on Pulp Fiction. Why? Because it has a lot of really, really cool, quotable lines. And I remember when I embraced my Christianity in college, I didn't like the way quoting those lines had taught me to speak, you know, and I was like, and it was hard to shake. Uh, and and I, I've unshaken it because I don't really think there's all that much to speaking in the way Christians think we ought to speak anyway. I think there's a time and a place for some kinds of language, but at the time I didn't. And it, but it was like, it was like shaking an addiction. And Christians shouldn't say McRoyal with cheese anyway, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> They should, did I break your concentration? Should never come out of a Christian's mouth. Well, so David, how would you, how would you uh, apply this thinking uh, to music then? Because uh, that's a very illustrate, you've, you've given us several examples of um, how one might say read a film and extract what is uh, good from that film, um, not despite its context, but within its context. Um, how would you apply that to to music that maybe speaks to the human experience and uh, even more so that uh, describes Christian faith? Do you mean all music or the music you guys cover or something in between? Why don't we start with all music? How, okay. What would you say about looking for that kind of message in, in um, m more popular music? Well, first off, most of the music I listen to doesn't have lyrics. All right. So, I mean, it's, that's not when I, when people say music, they usually mean songs. Uh, when I say music, I usually don't mean songs. I usually mean just music. And in that sense, I'm not looking for anything. It's, it's an experience. Um, 
it's an enjoyment. It's, uh, music has brought tears to my eyes and, and not the music you'd expect either. Not like sad music, like really happy music is what did it. Uh, music has made me laugh. Music, just music has made me laugh. Not music with William Shatner singing funny lyrics. I mean, just actual music. Um, so I want to say, I don't think it, I don't think it applies other than that. I think one of the things that I think Christianity does is it gets you to stop being tribal and cultural um, and us and them. Uh, and so I, I'm not looking for or worried about the evil in music, uh, evil chords, uh, the hell's bells, the dangers of rock and roll, that documentary from the eighties. Um, I think that's nonsense. Uh, I think if, if a song just offends you, then it offends you and, and good. Don't, don't listen to it. There are plenty of songs that are just, they, they will, and maybe should offend certain people with their sensibilities and with their seeming celebration of sensibilities. <clears throat> they may offend you by their style. I'm personally offended by the style of hairspray metal from the eighties. It just never worked for me. Um, I, I, and it's a, Hey, it's, there are good and bad musicians in that realm. Um, country doesn't work for me. Never has. That doesn't mean all of it doesn't. Right. Um, but, for, but as a rule, generally it doesn't, it means I'm really very, I very much like the songs that break. They're like, Oh, that's a good country song. I actually like that more because it's a kind of thing I don't like. And so when I like one of those, it's exciting. Um, but that's just me. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with country music. That just means chemically we're not made for each other and that's perfectly fine. Um, so it's more in that freedom thing. I, I, I'm not closed off to kinds of music, types of music, messages of music. I don't think that music does and must have a goal, um, that it should be used as a tool. Um, I think it can be, and it's perfectly fine if it is, but it's not a should it's not frivolous to enjoy music. It's not frivolous to get lost in music. That makes sense. But that's, but again, I'm talking about symphonic, so I'm not really going into lyrics and things like that. Well, let's talk about lyrics a little bit then. Maybe. Okay. What, um, specifically for, uh, for worship music, what do you think the lyrics of, of worship music, uh, should do? One, I think they should speak to or for the people who are singing. And that means that I'm probably not going to be very excited about thee and thou. Um, I think that can be changed. I think there's a time and a place for that. And if you, if you can introduce it as when we sing this, we are connecting with, with centuries of church history. And it feels like we're part of a grander conquer. That's great. And I had someone do that once with reference to say the Lord's Prayer and saying it in the King James way. Um, and that's, that as a, as an aberrant moment, that's okay. But as a rule, it should, it should speak to or for the people who it is written for. Um, that's not a super hard rule. And most of the songs I have to sing at my church are from the 1700s. So guess what I'm saying a lot of, or just retranslating in my own mouth. I do think they should be accurate. Um, what does that mean? Accurate. I, to scripture or yeah 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 it means don't get things wrong mostly i don't think it means i think the 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 form of a song the number of words you have or the structure that it has to have may limit 
how much information you can pack into it, right? So you might not be able to make a complete case in a song for whatever it is you're singing about. You may have to touch on it, try to touch on it well, try to touch on it without error, touch on it as unambiguously as you can. Um, I think songs should be in certain contexts. Uh, today's song, I have three ratings for, depending on what time it appears in the service. Um, that, that's just because that's, it's because it's relevant because I think it is impossible to hear a song 100% out of any context whatsoever. You could live on an asteroid and you tune in one radio station and you hear one song, then you're that guy. And I'm so sorry for that guy. <laughs> well, he's got bigger problems than what song did he pick up on the radio. Um, but I think most, most songs are going to be heard in some kind of context, or if they are mystifying, the context can be looked up. So... What matters is, what is the context? Is this at the beginning of service, where nothing has been said yet? Is it in the middle of the service, where maybe we're thinking about heavy things? Is it at the end of service, when hopefully the gospel has been explained, and we have a reason to be, to be happy or satisfied or called? Um, and I think it should fit that spot in that way. In that sense, I think that the song should be appropriate for the place that it, that it appears. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, um, what is your, what, how is it that you guys analyze music critically and charitably? I'm less charitable right now about the music you guys cover. Um, I cannot stand the music you guys cover. I, I cannot stand. I, I just mean the music. I don't mean the lyrics. I literally mean the music. And Tyler knows this, Colin. Uh, it's can you explain what it is about the music that upsets you? It's it's not a. I don't. I'll tell you what. I don't like the presumption of music. What does that mean? For one thing, I don't like the notion. That means that any time is an okay time to say, "All right, everybody, let's stand up and sing now." Right? Any time. So recently, my church had a dubious flirtation with interrupting the confession with a song. So we, we do the part where you chant back and forth, and then it's, and we're kneeling, and then it's, okay, now you can confess silently on your own. And I'm confessing silently, and all of a sudden I hear, stay where you are and sing with me. And I'm, like, I'm, con I'm confessing. What do I, I want to sing for? And then, and then at, during communion, we all get the things and before finishing communion, it's, let's st everybody stand up and sing. We're doing communion right now, dude. And, and there are places we don't. Now, like, I've been at churches where it's, it's uh, called worship. Here's a song. Now, that's great. There should be a song. That's a wonderful place for a song. Um, let's have a confession. Now a song. Uh, we, here's the affirmation. You're, 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 you're saved. You're fine. Let's do some songs. Uh, let's take the money. Let's have a song. Here's the, pre here's the preaching. Let's have a song. Now, my church doesn't have a song after taking the money. My church doesn't have a song between the preaching and the communion. There are places that, you know what I mean? Not every church does every one of these, but it astonishes me how it's, it's a given. Because music is not neutral, guys. It's not. It can't be. It's very, very hard to find neutral music. Music is... We are designed to respond to music experientially and emotionally. And I have a very hard time going in and out of that space at the beck and call of whoever happens to be standing at the thing with a guitar. 
I, I, for me, and, and again, I think this is for me. I'm not saying this is the way I think churches should be, but the churches that are this way, I, I would be much more suited for a church akin to my first real church was, um, was in a school neighboring the research university that would find you two. Um, and it met in this gymnasium and it was a charismatic church that was extremely Bible focused. So it was a very safe, charismatic church. Um, it was a very good place for me to be. And they, they sort of, their pattern is you show up and we sing for like 20 minutes. It's like the let's worship the Lord. It really is. We are going to use music to worship the Lord, but it's all together. And that, that makes sense because it's like, okay, time for music. And the songs differ in the different style. Their songs tended to be very psalm based. They would be a narrow part of the psalm. So they wouldn't call it like, you know, Psalm 41. They would call it, you have called us out of darkness, but it would be right out of a psalm or right out of Isaiah or something like that. And you're like, there's a lot of repetition because they want you to know the song and just be able to sing without reading. But good scriptural stuff, kind of all at once. And it's like, okay, let's have a seat. We're doing the taking of the money and here's a sermon and here's communion. And those things didn't get basically interrupted with music. Mm. And so for me, that's a better use of music in a worship service because music is not stolid. It's not stand, be emotionless, sing, crown him with many crowns. Music means that I agree. It's not that it's you are actually singing. You are probably moved by the music, even if it's just a piano and the whole room, just the whole room of singers is a moving thing. And, and I think to have it stop and start like that, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hear the, sometimes the confession and the affirmations, which are written by the, the lead pastor are really well written. Like, like, I almost want to tear the page out and take it home. Like I could pray this at home. And someone will say, what did you think of the affirmation? Uh, I think, I think I liked it. I don't know. We sang after it, so it's gone. I mean, I don't get to think about that. I don't get to hold on to that because after I've read and said these words, I now have to sing some other words and then sing again and then listen to a sermon and then sing again. And those, to me, the, the fact that music is a powerful thing means it needs to be used music not songs uh but music is part of songs so i'm not talking about the lyrics yet the fact that it is a it is this thing that grabs our hearts and should and we should let it that makes it hard for me to i find music presumptuous and the music you guys cover okay and this has been you know when i first embraced my christianity in college i hadn't heard music that sounded like this before and they called it contemporary christian and i went and it was kind of its own sound it's not adult contemporary it's not kenny Loggins and michael Mc it's it's its own thing you've got big echoey room a band of pop instruments 30 beats per minute because god help us if we get too excited we need to dial down the only emotion allowed in worship at least five minutes <laughs> per song if the song is short stretch it if it's if it's the hymn is too long cut stuff out of it you guys have run into that and i 100 agree with you don't be cutting verses from amazing grace uh breathy honest vocalist who very gradually gets drowned out by the room and then starts shouting extemporaneously above them <laughs> um 
pauses and lots of negative space and and the structure it's verse verse chorus verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus 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 good night irene and colin it hasn't changed in 30 years it is the exact you guys went you guys toured the world so to speak and i was like oh this is going to be great 10 episodes of international i can't wait to hear this they sounded the same <laughs> i'm I, and so it that's also a presumption that the music must sound that way because you know what people who have a pipe organ are not not worshiping even if it sounds like a funeral dirge and i'm sorry but people who are doing the god is trying to sell you uh, tell you something scene from the color purple and they're yelling and screaming and waving their hands and they're not not worshiping because they're excited i i would deny anyone who says because of the style of music no that's not worship my first real pastor did that to his son and i almost called him on him but i wasn't as brash at the time because his son was listening to some christian rap group at the time and he's like we could totally worship to this and his dad went uh that's not actually worship and walked on by now he wasn't trying to be smug but I wanted to call him on it and say, hey, you're the guy that's always saying there are no sheet music in the Psalms. Listen to the lyrics. Listen to these, this rap group's lyrics, because I'm sorry, these are better than some of the things we sing. You could do worse than having your kid thinking this is what worship can feel like if you want him to transition into, oh, I can have that experience with music that's not cool. I would like to ask, what are some of the characteristics of worship music that strikes you as interesting or perplexing or just plain odd. And I guess we can talk again, we're saying worship music. We could talk about lyrics. We could talk about, you're not a big fan of the music music, but maybe we'll talk about the lyrics. Um, yeah. What, what are some characteristics that strike you as interesting, perplexing or odd? So I've had a couple of styles. I've had the, the uh, contemporary Christian of the late eighties, early nineties, short songs that were very scriptural but they were there was the repetitive thing that a lot of people don't like um which for them was you'll worship more if you know it than if you have to read it and i i was like yeah the scripturality was nice i kept being surprised when i finally read through the bible and i would go oh there's that song only slightly altered to make it rhyme or whatever um i like songs that are very scriptural um, I'm okay with songs that are illustrative of a scriptural point, but I think it's hard to do well. So when it's done well, I really like it. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Um, but a song that comes from a distinctly Christian perspective where it's clear by the sentences I'm saying, it's clear that I am speaking from the position of someone who is saved by his Lord, who has been rescued. Uh, and who knows what he's been rescued from. Um, I have a hard time with the vagaries, but I have like some more of a hard time with like, so like the Lord's prayer, right? I don't say deliver us from evil. I say deliver us from the evil one because that's what it says. The only reason we don't say it is because historically we don't say it. That's our culture. And that's why I don't give a lot of ground to culture. Culture keeps us from thinking. And so, and I also don't tend to say art in heaven. I just say, you know, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I just say it normally, um, unless it gets that great 
you know, intro, like, hey, we're we're joining hands with Century. I'm like, all right, uh, I, I you got me. Yeah, absolutely. Right now. This is a wonderful time. There's that context again. Yeah, exactly. Context matters. And I think context is usually there. And when context isn't there, that matters, too. But I don't think that happens very often. Um, so so I so, for instance, I, I either I'm the only guy that gives you feedback or everybody who gives you feedback agrees with me. But uh, I've I've challenged you guys a lot on the context issue before. Um, but I mean, often you're just, you're, you're, you nail it. And I'll tell Tyler that I don't think he necessarily shares that in the show. Cause it's not an interesting discussion to say, this guy thinks we're great, but, um, I'll just, I'll usually say you guys are dead right about this. You know, this totally song totally misses it here, or you're right. That's a great, I sometimes miss the really exceptional lyrics until you guys say, this is a really exceptional lyric. And I'll go, wait a minute, what did I miss? And I'll rewind like, they're right. That is a really exceptional lyric, but because I heard it sung, it just flew past my head. Um, so I, unfortunately, what, what I think what's odd about Christian music is the way we use Christian music has taught me not to care about what the words are saying. Interesting. Because my church is going to sing songs that sometimes the words are, are exceptional. Sometimes we're singing them because somebody we like wrote them. But they're not actually that that great. Um, and by we like, I don't mean like we've got uh, bespoke songs. Our 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 singing leader writes the songs, and his are really good. But he'll write, he'll take songs from the 1700s or poems, and he'll put music to things that were never made as songs. It's a clever idea, and I like it. But sometimes I'm just like, this is not. Sometimes just because of the language, it's like I. I am, there's nothing going on here for me. I can't understand these images and the way your sentences are connecting. I'm just singing words. And I just kind of go, well, to me, it, to me in a church, songs don't have a very high place. I, I wrote to Tyler, I listed it here. This is where I, why I had it to write to him. Uh, like, okay, we're not free to do anything we want in worship. We kind of do it as prescribed by scripture. And I'm like, when I look at, at prescriptions and descriptions from scripture and history, things I see are the, the, the most primal thing talked about in worship is scripture. Read it, read a lot of it, and either, either second or as a subset, teach on it because you need to understand it to hide it in your heart, right? So what do the words mean? What was the context that this was written in? Um, we should be hearing way more scripture. Uh, I think the next most important thing talked about that you should do a lot of is prayer. Third is baptism and, and the Lord's supper. So, and singing is probably fourth. Although I, I admitted to, to Tyler, I think the confession is important, but that might be because I think the confession is important. So I kind of downgraded it. It may be above singing. Um, but I think that's important too. And then everything else calls to worship, collecting the money, benedictions, all the perfunctory stuff is under singing, but singing's not high in, in, in worship. And that's why I, I probably am the one that wrote to you guys about the, the phrase worship leader. Um, I, I mean, the, for my, for me at my church, the worship leader, we have two pastors. One of them will preach. One of them kind of runs the show. That's the worship leader. He's kind of conducting the day. Now we're going to pray, and he usually does the praying. Now we're going to read scripture. In a sense, if there's a worship leader, it's it's him. 
if you go by the element, the worship, the, the worship leader is going to be the lady who reads scripture because they always have women read scripture in my church because women were the first to d- deliver the gospel. They're the worship leaders because in a given, in a given week, the only thing that I'm sure is worship is the reading aloud and hearing of scripture and a lot of it for me. And so, I mean, and, oh, and I didn't, I didn't, maybe I did share this with you, Tyler. I found two great historically and Colin, you can nail me on this. Um, but so I just poked around like four descriptions of early churches worshiping. And I found Justin Martyr described a worship service this way. On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. That's from his first apology. No mention of singing, no mention of communion. And that doesn't mean they didn't do it. But what he's primarily seeing is the word. And then John Owen, the great Puritan theologian. So when would this have been? Hang on a second. In the 1800s. Um, our belief of the scriptures to be the word of God or a divine revelation and our understanding of the mind and will of God as revealed in them are the two springs of all our interest in Christian religion. From them are all those streams of light and truth derived whereby our souls are watered, refreshed, and made fruitful unto God. There's such a primacy. If we were singing more scripture, actual scripture, if a song called Psalm 136 was actually Psalm 136 and not part of it rewritten, like I, if you have to rewrite it to fit a rhyming scheme, I guess maybe that's okay. Every time I see a song with that title, and, I, and they were in my charismatic church, they were in my reformed church that had the organ, and they're in my current reformed church, I get so excited and so let down because I'm like, oh no, this is based on, it's more like a song inspired by Psalm 136. Why don't we just sing Psalm 136? Yeah, and I find that a bit troubling too, and I've maybe said this before on the podcast, but it's almost like you're using the capital of scripture, like you're using... The mm-hmm. you're, you're implying that the song has the weight of scripture, but in reality, you know, it's a it's like a riff on scripture. It's yes. really not the same thing, and it's it's a bit duplicitous. Yeah, if you if and I I I must have heard that episode today because I emailed Tyler and I said if the song was called taken from Psalm one thirty six or inspired, I would be like, hey, skies, let go, right, or a meditation on Psalm twenty three or something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, now I'm going to go home and read Psalm 23 and remember it better because I have this song to connect it to. Isn't that great? So for me, a lot of what I hear in worship music is pushing out time that I need to think about what I've just heard or said, or it's pushing out time we could be listening to Scripture aloud. When I first came to my current church, no matter what was preached on, there was at least an entire chapter read. If he's going to preach on two verses, we're going to hear the entirety of Luke 25. And then he's going to preach on verses 17 and 18 or whatever. And that shrunk now. And we have more songs <laughs> and we have more procedure. And that's what some Christians like, I guess. But for me, that's a real barrier. I have to ask because it's it sounds like um, um, for you, at the very least, Scripture is the most prominent, most important element of the Christian worship service. And so um, whether that's reading it or listening to it, uh, having it read to you, 
um, meditating on it. Or sung. But yes, yeah. or sung. If it but could now be. I wonder, David, yeah. um, is is there any benefit to uh, singing scripture over merely reciting scripture for you? Um, is is that not just using music as a vehicle for the delivery of scripture? Oh, that would be perfect. That would be wonderful. To be honest, it would be easier to remember if it's a passage I don't already know well. If it was accurate, you know, and accurate to let's say accurate to the level that the NIV and the NASB can differ, right? If your if your version, because you have to make it rhyme or be part of a chorus differs about to the same degree as the NIV does from the NASB, from the ESV, but you're still saying the content of the sentences are still the same. I'm glad to know that song until such time as I memorize that chapter. That would be lovely, but gosh, Tyler, when do we, when does that happen? When do we hear that? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I hear churches that I, I don't think I've heard your churches singing because they just, I think they just do the sermons, the, uh, in audio. I may be wrong. Maybe on YouTube they do more, but I've only heard the sermons. But you say your church sings the Psalms. And I don't know if that means you literally are singing the Psalms. If you are, I mean, I had to drive down there every Sunday because that's so valuable. Yeah. They're exactly what you describe. Yeah. Where there's some slight changes to make rhymes, but, uh, you know, it, like they might change the word order, you know, so that the verb is at the end because it rhymes, you you know, it's got an ING verb. So it rhymes with another ING verb or something, but it's, it's, it's straight up Psalms. I wish we would do that at any of the churches I've ever been to. I mean, that wouldn't that, what would be, how many songs do I, you I've got 300 albums by Goldsmith back here. Good grief. But then I've got tons of pop music. I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. Mm -hmm. What if those songs were all scripture? I would have half the Bible memorized just because I know instead of shake your groove thing, it would be, you know, Psalm 17 or, or whatever. I don't know that Peaches and Herb fits Psalm 117. Yeah. But you know, you know what I'm saying? That would be wonderful because it would be a memory aid, you know, and it would be more joyful to sync that, I think. I think when you when you take the psalm and you say, I'm going to riff on it, you've lessened you know, what am I going to add to it that's going to make it better? You know? Yeah. I'm wondering conceptually, David, would you be open to the use of music in a worship service without lyrics? Oh, yeah. So you're as a listener to kind of symphonic music and, and lyricless music, would you be open to ambient sounds in your uh, church service? And if so, how? It's already kind of done in a lot of services, predominantly the kinds that have the music you guys are covering, where uh, it starts to fade in under something that's going on. Or it might be... It's like a dude playing a synth all the time. Sure. Or starting to play the synth because um, the the whatever the pastor's saying is ending and a song is about to start... So it's just like, well, let's crossfade the intro in or music playing as people are lining up and getting the elements of communion. Now, in our case, that's usually a song, but it could just as easily just be music. Um, yeah, that would be that would be perfectly fine in some in certain places, you know, like you don't you don't want to score the sermon. You know, you know da, 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 da. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. You don't want to have Goldsmith coming in and and do, 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 do. he was a goofy guy. Um, 
I almost thought you were going to contradict yourself there in saying, um, you know, to use it as a kind of transition uh, sound, because earlier you said you did not like it when, uh, say, for example, the confession ended and then, you know, music started. But uh, it seems like for you, the issue is more the singing. It really is that lyrics are interjected that interrupt your train of thought. Is that the case? Lyrics and the need for me to participate. In other words, I have, so, so the confession at our church, it, that made the affirmation is probably the exact place. We sort of have a call to worship and then a song and then a prayer and then confession time. And we read something back and forth and we're, some of us are kneeling and then we get to confess on our own for a little bit. And it's like, stand up for the affirmation. And it used to be receive the affirmation. Now it's say back and forth the affirmation. And I don't say it back and forth. I can't receive it if I'm saying it. Um, and I have a hard time following things when I'm reading along. I can read it or I can listen to it. But if I'm reading along, I'm too engaged in the activity of reading along and I don't really get the content. So I just, I just close my eyes and listen. And that affirmation is almost entirely scored, if you will, by the song that is about to follow, because after the affirmation, it's time for the two songs. Um, and that's just a segue and we're going into music and that's a good way to bring you into music and i don't mind a song after the affirmation i mind we're sitting down confessing and before the affirmation stay where you are and sing with me wait first off i was just thinking about my sins here for a second um not quite in the singing mode and aren't we going to get up and have an affirmation why am i it's there's a really good Lutheran satire video where they make fun of Christian worship music at one point or Protestant worship music. Mm -hmm. And they have this like really peppy choir of four or five men come in and they go, we are sinners. We are sinners. We are poor and wretched sinners of the wretchedest degree. We are sinners. And that's what I think of. If you're confessing your sins and someone says, sing with me, you think, well, what shall I sing? Uh, we are <laughs> poor and wretched sinners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't need to be pulled into music when I'm confessing my sins. I don't need to be moved into some emotional state that a song is in control of. My sins might be banal one week. They might be really dire one week. They might be embarrassing one week. Who knows? But how do you know? And why are you pulling me into some sorry song? Just, and, and we don't do that anymore. That stopped. You know, it was an experiment. Experiment's over. Yay. But I'm just saying that is an illustration of how the notion that that music really could go anywhere. So let's just try it. To me, the presumption of music is one of those things that I found odd since you had asked that earlier. Well, we've already, I think, gotten into some of this a little bit. But just to really put a fine point on it, David, uh, what direction, if any, would you like to see church music take or worship music take? I, I have kind of already said some of this with reference to the experiential quality of music that it's not neutral um and, and so i i think it's jolting to have people go into it and come out of it and go into it and come out of it and go into it or it's like it should be jolting if it's not jolting then singing is an exercise in showing how stolid i can be and that's not what we should be doing with our worship music i don't think although people who are stolid in their worship the lord's made many kinds of people and some people they just need that and Proud we are of all of them. Um, I think music should recede. There should be less of it. Um, I prefer it. I don't think this is a should. 
This is for me because I can't be neutral about music. I guess I prefer let's, let's sing all at once. And, and a song at the end is fine too. Like it's the end of the service. Let's have a song and the doxology song after communion, you know, that's, it's so short. It's, you know, we've just had communion. It kind of feels like a thank you. Amen. And it's, you know, it's a song. Most people know it's a good little tune. Um, so there are little places where it fits, but if, if we're going to be literally worshiping in song, let's put that together. I will, I will go. And I've been at our, at my current church, we had a night of, it was, we're just going to sing a bunch of worship music for two hours. And I was just like, Oh, I'm so there. I will so be there for that. Um, because, because in a sense, the interruption also does violence to the music. You know, every time the music comes in, instead of, oh, good, I get to sing. It's like, oh, I'm not, what, what is this? What are we doing again? I, we were listening to words and thinking about things and now we're singing and I'm attaching that to this song. You know, you can tell I have some bitterness about worship songs in church and, and that's not fair to them in a sense, in a sense, the, that by being used the way they are, the songs are kind of interrupting the flow of the thoughtfulness and they're also not getting their due, which is if I just sang five songs in a row at the beginning of service, they don't all have to be five minutes. Either they can be three minutes or two. Uh, and one of them can be seven. I mean, let's do a Queen album. But they could be whatever they need to be. And that that time of worship and song can be an actual time of worship and song, not we're going to worship and song for about seven minutes and then we're going to stop. We're going to do something else. But don't worry. Because aside from the sermon, we can't let five minutes go without another song coming up. So we'll go right back to, to singing. I would group it. That's for me. That's not correct. That's not a should. That's, that's what would work for me. Like country music does not work for me. Symphonic music does work for me. That is a my chemistry thing. Do you have uh, any? Do you have any questions for us or comments for us about uh, hmm. our podcast or or how we have uh, have have treated songs in the past? You've answered most of those. In fact, yeah. In fact, I'm and Colin, th this aversion to the music has caused me. I'm ten episodes behind because I I'm just like <laughs> <sighs> like I want to hear these guys, but. I got to listen to that stuff. Um, well, it's 30, the 30 second clips. They are and, never too long. And that's but, what yeah. I forgot. You know, I, I got into it this week. I was like, oh, <laughs> what, you know, they're so spaced out, you know, and sometimes if the sound is off, you can't hear them anyway, which is great. And what's great is too, a good year ago, you guys started saying the lyrics after the song was, which really helpful because it's often hard to hear them. You know, they're not. Those songs are not designed to have, you know, crisp, clear vocals. They're designed to sound like a great big room full of people. Um, and so that just, you know, if if I'm really, really, I could just I could just skip 30 seconds until I hear you guys talk again and and listen to you tell me what the words are, because that's kind of all for the most part. That's what you guys focus on. Like on occasion, I think I think on occasion you've talked about the music either being particularly good or particularly weird but not much mostly it's what is this song actually making us say with our mouths that you guys hit on so you guys kind of know well i mean i don't know colin if tyler tells you who's 
who's saying what, but yeah, yeah. He shares a little bit of this stuff with me for sure. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. I mean, you've heard most of, most of my things. I think I'm, I'm, I I do think you're too hard on the contextuality question and you know that, and you guys do a nice job of every now and then saying, by the way, I know people think we're too hard on contextuality, but let me explain why. And sometimes those are good defenses, you know, so that's, that's worth hearing. And that's just, that's just Cisco Ebert stuff. We're just different people. I have a question for you guys that you said, ask about the podcast. How do you think it's doing in relation to what you want the podcast to be? Which is, I think, I think what you want it to be is kind of a resource that as you build up songs, people can go, oh, worship review is covered that. Let's see what they have to say about it. And it's available. But I mean, it it's partially not that yet. And it partially is that yet because you've got a, a bank. But where do you think it is in relation to what you hope it it can be or should be? Um, I have an initial answer for this. So this is hard to diagnose, I think. One of the metrics for it is what it, it, something that was implied in your question, which is we are seeing, we have a steady group of people that listen to each new episode, but we're increasingly seeing hits in older, you know, like in that bank. Sure. So that suggests that people are going to find, right. you know, uh, episodes that we've done on a particular song. And I, I think that that at least implies to me that maybe it's having an effect. And we don't know what those people are being convinced of or why they're listening to it mm-hmm. or whether they're worship leaders or pastors or they're talking to worship leaders or pastors. But I think it's a positive sign, I think. That, that sounds like a very good tell. Yeah. How about, do you guys want to have more dialogue in some space? Like you've got a website and I don't know, I just visited it when Tyler unveiled it just to look at it and say, nice website, you know, for a podcast website, it's above par. Do you have like a, does each episode have a little comment section or forum? Do you want discussion of the songs to continue in there or do you get discussion? Yeah. Okay. I'm really glad you just mentioned that. Because uh, as Colin was saying that, I was thinking we should probably have a service where people can just search for a song on our website. I was actually thinking specifically a page on the website where people could type in a song name and see if we have an episode on it. Because at this point, who's going to scroll through five or six pages of Anchor FM uh, podcast episodes to find something? So no, we don't have that. That's something I'd like to do. And um, I would probably not take that long. but to your to your initial question, I think the podcast has been what I expected mm-hmm. uh, for myself uh, in creating a resource where I could put all of my thoughts and concerns about a song in one place. But I will say it's been more than that for me as well. And I would suspect for Colin, but I don't know. Uh, it's been more than that for me because... It's also caused me to reflect critically sure. why it is that I have certain perspectives on something. It has caused me to interrogate myself and to be interrogated about that. And uh, it's actually been educational in that I have been learning by unpacking some of these songs. So I think a good example of a song where my perspective going into the show and into the podcast was completely different from leaving the episode was um, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, a song I've always loved and enjoyed. And then when we did it on the podcast, we were asking ourselves questions like, well, 
um, what does it mean for the father to turn his face away from I remember the that, yeah. son? For, you know, two persons of the Trinity to be, you know, uh, divorced in a moment. That's a terrifying thing. And who's actually really thought about what this line is implying? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in some ways, it's been better than what I expected. Um, it's been more than just a repository for ideas. It's been a sounding board for developing my perspective on what worship music should be and what is and is not uh, safe to say about God in worship. So mm. um, I think it's it's what we set out to be and then some. Yeah, I think it... Um... I just evoked Siskel and Ebert and I grew up with Siskel and Ebert, uh, watching these two guys review movies. Um, and obviously didn't always agree with them, but that's part of what made them great to watch is I could go, eh, Ebert thumbs down that a little bit, but he's got this thing with those kinds of movies. I think I'm going to like it. Right. I could do that. But at the same time, he's still talking intelligently about movies and I think those two guys, more than maybe more than anybody in the history of film, have popularized the notion that movies are worth talking about. And in a, in a way, too, I think if people listen to your show, whether they think you're and I don't think that anyone's going to think you're not being pedantic enough, by the way. But if they think you're being too pedantic, they're still going to come away with this idea that. The words we say with our mouth and proclaim in church matter deeply, that they're, that we should, should take them very seriously. We don't have to worry about having a mixed fire response and being burned because we've done the wrong thing. Okay. That's not, it's not, we're not there, but, and it's not like I need to walk this fine and narrow maze on a tightrope or God will destroy me. It's not that it's that God matters and truth matters and what we think and what we affirm matters and what we believe matters and how detailed we are also matters. And I think that's a broad takeaway from your show, which is nice because you guys are both. I mean, generally one the main reason I listen consistently for so long is it's a great start to a Monday because you're both affable. Like, it's a really nice conversation to listen to. Um, So my Goldsmith Odyssey podcast, which before I was on it, the three guys were like, we hate our first three episodes. And I was like, what's wrong with your first three episodes? Well, we got a year in and they had more episodes and I was on the episodes and I went back and listened to the first three. And uh, we're going to discuss the works of Jerry Goldsmith, who is a fine company. They sounded like NPR. And I watched Siskel and Ebert's first two or three shows, and they sound like NPR. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah they, it took them a while to go, we just need to be ourselves, right? And, and you guys hit the ground running on that. Um, and I think you could take this topic and you could stay NPR because it is serious. But the fact of the matter is the topic is serious and you do not have to be dour about it. To bring that across, it comes off in the content of your conversations. Meanwhile, it's a very friendly listen. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. My hope is that someone will listen to the show, and even if they disagree with us, they take away from the podcast episode 
that it's okay to have a serious conversation mm-hmm. about these lyrics. It's okay to go to the worship leader and say, hey, I know you said this in this song. Have you thought about what that might mean? And then open up those kinds of conversations everywhere. Um, that would be my hope. Not that people would walk away agreeing 100%, but they would walk away confident that this is worth thinking about. And if they don't, they would write you. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And say, what do you guys, well, you guys said this. Are you sure you're up on that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And indeed, we've benefited a lot from folks like yourself that have done that. So, yeah, it's been good. I had a thought about something you said earlier, David, when mm-hmm. you were talking about singing these and thous. Um, it, it's often uh, you get a kind of hand wavy response from some Christians, even some Christian worship leaders about this. Like, oh, well, don't think too much about that. That just means you and your. Um, I would say the the Christian worship environment, the worship service should be the last place where we're hand wavy about words. Yes. It would seem like, yeah, you want to listen to the Beatles? Okay, fine. You know, we're not going to be too nitpicky about what they're saying. But if we're talking about worshiping God in the sanctuary on the Lord's Day, are we really going to say, well, don't think too much about the lyrics? Like, no, that's exactly when you want to be thinking about the lyrics. Why are we doing that? If we're not thinking about what we're saying, what's the point of it at all? Just don't do it. I just, it's mind boggling. And that's why the, that's why the these and thous bug me because they I think they emphasize the notion the words don't really matter right when they words matter immensely yeah you are you are singing next to your children they're seeing you sing this you are singing next to unbelievers who don't know any better you're singing singing next to believers who are new and don't know the things you know but think you're the bee's knees when it comes to theology because you know way more than they do and you'll tell them when they ask and you're singing these words. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say real quick, I was very grateful for um, when a pastor once explained to me what it meant that we raise our Ebenezer, for example, oh, and then we sung it. Yes. You know, that, was, that was useful. Good right? grief. I've, I don't know what that means, and I've probably sung it once every three months for 10 years. I don't want to raise my Ebenezer anymore. <laughs> I, I, I cannot not think of Alistair Sim. Well, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. It was our first interview our first guest episode and we're really grateful to have david on and next week we will look at a song together for the first time we will have a guest uh, collaborative review and we'll be taking a look at um in our fifth series here songs that have been nominated for dove awards and if you're not familiar with dove awards these are the gma dove awards the gospel music association dove awards so we're looking at um songs and albums and artists who have been um crowned if you will by the christian music establishment and so next week david will help us review gyra by elevation worship uh stephen furtick's um group and maverick city music in 2021 for the 52nd dove awards stephen furtick alone was involved in the writing process of 10 um, nominated songs. And if you think about what that would mean, um, that is... You mean from various artists, Tyler? Uh, pri- I think primarily from Elevation Worship, but also from other artists like this Maverick City group as well that collaborated with them. Um, if, you think about, if you think about that for a second, 10 different nominations in 2021 for... Um, authorial influence from a non-musician that is a very large amount of influence that someone could have 
on American in um, American Christianity indirectly. So without being, I don't know, elected in church polity or or assigned a role in a uh, government of churches, this this one man can influence um, so much of American Christianity through music. Music functions as a sort of in route for Furtick to, um, well, put words on the mouth of various Christians all over the country. So um, just very interesting. And so I'm looking forward to taking a look at this song, Gyra, next week with David. I hope you're looking forward to it too, David. <laughs> I, I am looking forward to it. <laughs> we we don't have, I promise we don't have a weapon pointed at David. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along, move along. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.